Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and a new jobs report revealed that veteran unemployment rate was 2.9% last month, down from 3.6% in September. And so the month of November is Military Families Month. We also just surpassed Veterans Day. And so we have an expert available to discuss recruiting, hiring, and workplace issues for veterans. Every Everything from upskilling and reskilling, how some interviews overlook valuable assets, and other sort of trends that we're seeing. And so my guest today is Kathleen Quinn-Vota. She is the CEO of Talent Trust, a strategic recruiting and human capital consulting firm. So she's also the author of two books, Dare to Care in the Workplace, A Guide to the New Way We Work, and Solve the People Puzzle, How High-Growth Companies Attract and Retain Top Talent. Regarded as a key disruptor in her industry, she has helped thousands of companies across multiple industries develop purpose-based, inclusive communities that inspire employees to come to work. Her company has also been recognized in the Inc. 5000. And so this is definitely an issue within the clearance jobs ecosystem, making sure that you're retaining folks on contracts because it's really tough for recruiters anyway in hiring in this industry. And so backfilling is something that we're trying to avoid, but also creating a space for especially veterans, which encompasses a lot of the candidates on clearance jobs, making sure that we have a workplace that is inclusive of them and other populations for that matter. So before I dive into my questions, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me today. No, Katie, it's my pleasure to join you. So I teased to it in my intro, a new jobs report revealed that veteran unemployment rate was down last month. It was at 3.6% in September. So how can recruiters reach veteran talent before the next company sitting next to them trying to get them? Oh, well, they have to develop really good relationships with the military outplacement officers to make sure that they are in line for the next person who needs a job in civilian life. You cannot rely on the fact that you're going to post a position and these veterans are just going to find you. They need to be invited to apply. And let me unpack that just a little bit more for you, Katie. Invited to apply is we actually, um, a company actually takes the time to understand what a veteran who could become an employee needs, um, that they develop the relationships and that they understand the community before they need somebody to just come work in their organization. So recruitment is a sales process. And when you're working with veterans, they have to know that they're they're going to be able to provide for themselves and their families if they come to work for you. Absolutely. I mean, it really is, like you said, building those relationships, understanding that the long recruitment game is just as important as the short recruitment game when you're sort of creating these meaningful connections with potential candidates. You also said creating that inclusive space for veterans to be able to support their families. So that also includes maybe creating spaces for military spouses. I know one of the biggest reasons that some veterans are leaving 
a certain company, it's because they're trying to keep their military spouse gainfully employed. So it's really about understanding the entire sort of ecosystem behind what military families look like. I mean, if those are the kind of candidates that you're trying to attract. And so some recruiters might overlook valuable assets and experiences that veterans do bring to the table. And this is a problem across many industries. So how can they sort of check themselves and combat this? Yeah, that's a really good point, too, that not only their significant others, but their children. I mean, when somebody relocates, you know, or is moving from one base to another, they're bringing people, right? So being uh, welcoming to that entire ecosystem that relocates their families to come serve for our freedom. That's number one, a great point by you, Katie. And also getting involved. You know, the bases, certainly they're secure environments, but there's ways to get involved. I had the opportunity to speak to the national security intelligence community, and I was on base in Dayton, Ohio. And there are ways to get involved with the military community If it is geographically near you, they have USO offices on almost every site and go and volunteer and start building relationships with people because then you'll be part of the community when you need them. So one of the barriers, Katie, why companies don't do these things is because it takes time and people power to do it. But, you know, I'm going to tell you this population, the veteran population, They are some of the most dedicated human beings in the world, and I believe the input into this community will have a much more dramatic impact on your output, and you'll have better success because they're already loyal. They already know how to work. You don't have to teach them how to work. They have actually been in situations that many of your people have never been in. You can get tax breaks. You can get subsidized for training. Um, you can get there's they have such a strong work ethic. And then there's all those other skills that they've gotten from the military. So it is a population not to be overlooked. However, I want to make sure everybody knows it's going to take more time than just posting and praying that somebody comes along. Sure. I know that we have seen that post and wait mentality. And even the government has had to kind of reinvent the way that they attract talent. It's because it's not a it's not a hirer's market anymore. It's a candidate's market. And so we see that with the unemployment rate. You can't just post and wait. You have to be building your brand. And this is all sort of happening concurrently. You have to use all of these tactics in today's recruiting and hiring environment. So the other piece to this puzzle, I think, you know, as you're trying to recruit and retain veterans, push them through that hiring process. I had a conversation with someone who talks about sort of these employers who are military friendly. It's more than just a marketing scheme. You can't just say, oh, I'm military friendly on my website. You actually have to have benefits to back that up, whether it's employee resource groups or if you are trying to attract reservists or folks that are in the guard. You need to have PTO benefits that kind of line up with that. So it really is a very complicated process as you're trying to recruit and retain people. And so one of the ways that you can kind of build your brand is by producing content. And I stumbled across a lot of content on your website, but specifically a cost of vacancy calculator. And that can be really useful for recruiters having tough conversations with leadership. I know when I was recruiting, 
it was always really tough when I had positions that I just could not get filled. And I either needed more money, I needed the government to waiver on a certain requirement. And so having those conversations with leadership, it can get emotional. So tell us a little bit more about how recruiters can use that cost of vacancy calculator to have those difficult conversations. Yeah, that's a great point. And then, you know, you can start with your own department because I we work with a lot of small, mid-sized businesses in construction, manufacturing, engineering, and often the HR departments, the talent acquisition departments, the recruiting departments are understaffed. You know, it's like, go find me 20 people. And you're like, how do I do that? I, don't, I have a day job. I have to do all this HR work and all these benefits. So one of the reasons we created the cost of vacancy calculator, Katie, is so when hiring managers need people, when talent acquisition people need people, when HR people are doing organizational design work, we see a lot of openings in companies. And sometimes the openings are valid and sometimes they're not. So it's a way to use data, non-emotional data, when you're having the conversation about why are these positions opened? How long have they been open? Do we really need them if they've been open for six, nine, 12 months? We see that in companies. You know, if you've lived for half a year without a vital position, is it really a real position? Is it a really real need? But then the cost of vacancy calculator can bring it into dollars and cents. So maybe it really is. You know, sometimes we're very emotional about, oh, I need a person because I can't get my work done. That's an emotional response. The data in the cost of vacancy calculator can help you say, okay, how long has this position been open? What is the value of this position to the organization? And give you data to go into whoever you need approval from and use metrics that matter to the person who might approve the opening. And that can help you get your position approved. That's one way to use it. The other way to use it for organizations is, you know, we're in the fourth quarter for most people, most organizations, to build this into their strategy. You know, look at the cost of vacancy in each department and by department and by position. And if we have two openings here, three openings here, to prioritize where to spend the time on the recruiting effort and the sourcing effort. Because sometimes if you overwhelm a talent acquisition and recruiting team with go fill 20 positions, well, how do they prioritize them? They can prioritize them on their cost of vacancy to the overall company. And then the talent acquisition and the recruiting team really is aligned with the business needs of the company versus just trying to fill a job. You see the difference there, Katie? Oh, for sure. And I think a lot of the trouble with recruiters today, like they are working on sometimes 50 positions at a time, whether it be fully funded contract openings that they have with a government customer or even proposal efforts and having that data from a cost of vacancy calculator. And that's another issue I hear within industry and defense contractors. Recruiting teams are never aligned with the business needs. And I'm not sure why that disconnect is still there. And really, it, it comes from top down. You need to have a recruiting manager or leadership that is working together at that level to make sure that talent acquisition professionals are working on what they need to work on. Absolutely, because that's where the misalignment is. I mean, the talent acquisition recruiters were hired to serve the organization. 
if there's no linkage between the business need and what we're looking for and constant reprioritization, it's so detached, you know, then we play the blame game. Well, I can't fill my positions because the recruiting team isn't getting me people. Really? Some of the things I talk about, Katie, is very simple. It's, you know, be kind, communicate, do the right thing, make sure people know what you need. And it's great. But, you know, recruiters internally, too, can be their own worst enemy. We just had an experience with an organization. Their recruiters overworked and and really hair on fire right now. So God bless her, right? You know, our team said, hey, would you like to have twice a month recruiting update calls with us so you can see kind of what we're doing? Nope, just send me candidates. There's no strategy. There's no thought. There's no, well, where are you looking? Where are you sourcing? How are you doing this? She would not calibrate candidates. Like, how is a recruiter to know whether you're hitting the mark or not if there's going to be no communication? Right. I mean, and that begs the question, and this is a totally other conversation, that recruiting processes that are specific to each company need to be reevaluated. I would say pretty often, especially if you're hitting roadblocks. Absolutely. Constantly. In my book, Solve the People Puzzle, we share openly that there are six really good steps if you want to have a very tight recruiting process. The first starts with who are you? What is your employment brand and what do you stand for? You made a point earlier, Katie, you can't just say you're military friendly and not walk the talk. You got to be able to show people that you're military friendly and why you're military friendly. So if you want this wonderful population, you know, show me the money, Jerry Maguire, show me that you love us and how you love us. So employment brands, you have so many tools through social media right now to show people who you are and what you stand for. It will distinguish you from other people because many companies, believe it or not, don't take the time to establish a strong employment brand for the population that they want to employ. The next step in our process is to fill the pipeline with great people. You cannot ever stop recruiting. We encourage people to always be recruiting for top talent. Athletic teams do it all the time, right? Hockey, football, basketball. Hey, they're putting the best available athlete on the team. Why aren't you, right? That's step number two. And step number three, screen them for your company attitudes, values, belief systems, skill sets, competencies. You know, it could take a 15-minute screening. You can put together a pre-requisition questionnaire. You could do all kinds of things to pre-screen so you are really evaluating the quality candidate for your environment. Then invite them in for an interview. Most people skip those first three steps and go right to interview. If you apply, I'll interview you, but they forget to cultivate. Then the fifth step is nurturing that candidate population And that's a simple email, text, note to home, phone call. You know, if you're not texting this population, you know, the millennials and Gen Zs, you're never going to get them. I have a 23-year-old son. If I text him, he texts me right back. If I email him, he says, what email, right? So make sure you nurture your pipeline. And then from there, make sure you make a meaningful offer to the person you want to come work for you. We're in a counter-offer culture. You know, there's about 9 million open jobs overall and a little bit more, and about 6 million or plus people looking for those jobs. So it's a candidate-driven environment. 
And so what candidates are doing now is if you make them an offer, they're going to counter. So count on the counter. Because wouldn't you ask for what you need? Because the, uh, these candidates have people to consider. They have their families. So they're going to go home and they're going to ask, should we make the move? Should we consider this compensation? How do the benefits compare with my current employment situation? They're going to weigh and balance it against their current situation, your offer, and likely a couple other offers. So don't be fooled or tricked that you're the only person looking at their them as a candidate. And one great question to ask candidates that you really want in your organization that you're going to spend the time, effort, and energy creating an offer for is, Katie, tell me what the best offer I can put together for you and your family that you would accept? What is the best offer that I can put together for you and your family that you would accept and would meet your needs? So you don't waste your time, effort, and energy if there's a huge gap there. Right. Well, and we see that with pay transparency, which I'm totally all for just being a recruiter. It definitely avoids those time-wasting conversations and allows you to move on to the next billet. And so Let's talk about upskilling and reskilling for our job seeker audience. This is a question I constantly get, especially from, you know, certain military occupational specialties that you you just don't find in the private sector. I mean, so with your background in hiring and recruitment, how can transitioning service members effectively pivot careers and really convince an interviewer to bring them on, even if they don't have as much experience? That's a tricky one because if you, I don't know if you find right now, but everybody wants, I call them packaged, packaged candidates. They want to be able to uh, hit the ground running. And in this supply and demand situation we're in, where there are more jobs than there are people to employ, it is very important for your teams to put together kind of the essential needs versus the nice to have needs, because we have to start training people. I'll give you a really good example. There's a company here in Denver. Basically, they supply gases to all kinds of organizations, the construction industry and the beverage industry is their main clients. And so they supply, you know, oxygen and all kinds of gases. So they have cylinders. So the cylinders have to be welded and they couldn't find welders. And this man and I have a business relationship and he kept complaining he couldn't find welders. And I said, well, you've got to train people because there aren't, the inventory isn't there. So what he did finally, after I think the third conversation, is he cleaned out an area in his warehouse. He put together a small training environment, invited the scouts to come in and get their badge for welding. So he tested it on the scouting community, which is a great community. And he and he then started to invite people into training. He would actually go and, um, and invite people who were clearly unemployed in his geographic area to come take these courses. They were free. To begin with, I think they still are free because he needed welders. And so he trained them on welding. And then about a year later, it became a profit center. What, what He started as a training center, turned into, which was a cost center, turned into a profit center because he had a surplus of welders. So what he ended up doing is solved his welding problem. He had the welders he needed 
to take care of the cylinders so he could serve his customers, right? And then he had a surplus of welders, so then he could offer welders to other companies within his geographic location. So companies are going to have to stop whining about who they don't have and take the time to jump in and train people on the skills that they might need. Another great example, if you don't mind, Katie, um, is a plumbing organization in Albuquerque, New Mexico called TLC. They started with one training class and the training class is things associated with how to be a plumber, but they're also life skills. Now it's a huge full-on university. It's crazy. It's huge. But they just started with one class and, you know, something specific to plumbing. And then they've grown their curriculum to include, you know, managing your finances, being the best kind of parent you could be, you know, managing your checkbook, things that our people who work with us need, but they don't have the time to go get. And we as leaders can help them have a better life because that's what, why they're working in the first place. So I've got plenty of examples on those training pieces and what people are doing. I really love that. So in sales, you're doing lead generation workshops and seminars and webinars. By putting together those workshops, that's a candidate generation tactic. And we see that in the cybersecurity community, we see the same thing. Companies investing in their employees to do boot camps so they can upskill to fill those hard to recruit roles and turning it into a profit center, you know, that's even better. And so, Kathleen, I really appreciate you joining me for the podcast. And I wanted to leave off on, you have a lot of content that I spoke to, online media, you have those two books, and you also have a podcast. So remind our listeners about where they can pick up copies of your book and tell us a little bit more about the podcast that you run. Well, thank you for asking, Katie. So both of my books, Solve the People Puzzle and Dare to Care in the Workplace, are available on Amazon or on my website, KathleenQuinnBotaw.com. Also, the podcast is easy to remember. It's called Dare to Care in the Workplace with Kathleen Quinn-Botaw. It's on Apple and Spotify. And there are some really cool guests on that podcast. So I hope you join us. Excellent. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Thanks again, Kathleen, for joining us for this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on workplace issues and how to combat them, you can always visit news.clearancejobs.com. This is Katie Keller, editor at CareerStops.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of CareerCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.careerStops.com.